Two Guys, One Book, where two friends tackle their reading list one book at a time. Hello, and welcome back <laughs> to Two Guys, One Book. I'm Tim. And I'm Brian. And today we read, uh, or we are discussing, yeah. to, to the Lighthouse by Virginia Woolf, mm-hmm. written, uh, it was published in 1927, I think. I think that's right. Like, yeah. Late 1920s. Mm-hmm. So pretty old. Um, but considered to be a classic, right? Classic, yeah. yeah. Like, Times top 100 right. novels or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, what were your first impressions of the book? Well, I mean, I never read Virginia Woolf before. And like we said, it's it's considered a classic. So reading it, I didn't really... I kind of Well, I did read a little synopsis saying it's not really plot-driven. It's more about her writing and uh, diving into the minds of her characters. Um, but with that being said, do you want to, do you want to give a synopsis of it? Before the impressions? Well, yeah. Well, like, okay. I mean, did I have any preconceived notions coming in, starting this book? Not really. I just knew Virginia Woolf was a famous author. Okay. But we'll, we'll do a quick plot summary. I mean, did you have yeah. any preconceived notions coming into this? Well, no, I meant, um, first impressions as far as mm-hmm. how you've thought overall. Yeah. Why'd you pick it? Why did I pick it? Yeah. Okay. So first of all. We haven't read that many female authors yet. <laughs> you haven't picked any, Brian. Oh, come on. I've only picked one. Yeah, so right. It's I mean, like, we're only on like book eight. Yeah, that's true. It's this is an early, um, early podcast. I'm right. just being. I'm preemptively showing people that we're not sexist. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. But she seems like. I mean, it's a very famous book, and she's a famous author. I thought it would be like Sylvia Plath a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, Have you read Sylvia Plath? I've read the Bell Jar. Oh, I like the Bell Jar a lot. Really? Yeah. I have not. That's her it's only been... book, right? I, I think it is her only book, yeah. Yeah. She wrote a lot of poetry. There you go. But, yeah. um, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I guess just because it's like a classic, I'm trying to read like a classic book. No, no. I, so. I, I, I think that's a good choice for picking it because they're classics for a reason, but I also like reading them and then making up my own mind as well. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not. It's good gonna... to be objective yes. about it. Right. And it, it's also like philosophical. People said this is like yes, a very philosophical book in a lot of ways. So we're both into that. I thought that would be interesting. Yeah. Um, okay, so quick summary. Yes. This will be hard because there's not much plot <laughs> going on. The basic overview is that uh, the main characters, or so it starts with these two parents, Mister and Mister Ramsey, and they have eight children, and they're at a house where they have some guests as well. And basically, it's just a lot of dialogue between them and uh, talking with the kids and some arguments and things like that. Um, eventually, like, they grow older. Uh, Mrs. Ramsey dies. Um, like, two of the kids die, one in World War One. So this is taking place partly in World War One. And uh, they talk about going to the lighthouse in the beginning, and then eventually they go to a lighthouse. That's honestly, like, the whole story, <laughs> more or less. I, I'm not going to they go to the lighthouse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a little more to it, but, like... Right. I mean, it's not... It's it's in the Scottish Isles. It takes place in the Hebrides off the coast of Scotland, which are, like, an archipelago of islands. And it was, like, their vacation home. Mm-hmm. Not where they lived permanently, where they would go to vacation and I think like the book is split up into three sections um, the first one is just them at the, the vacation home wanting and the little boy James is wanting to go to the lighthouse but they can't because the weather is bad and then they have dinner with everyone there in at their their house there 
And then the second part is called Time Passes, which is short. It's a shorter part, very uh, eloquently written, not so much in concrete details of what happens. She more elaborates. She has very nicely written prose about allegor- uh, like um, an analogy to how time passes is like different things or something. And, she, and then in, in there she says, oh, Mrs. Ramsey dies. Oh, Andrew dies and Prue, Prue dies. And then the third part is called To the Lighthouse in which everyone con- comes back to that um, vacation house in Scotland. And then James and Cam, the son and daughter, the youngest son and daughter, go with Mr. Ramsey on a sailboat to the lighthouse. And then there's these other characters that aren't the Ramseys, like L- Lucy Briscoe and... and She's like a painter. Yeah, or wannabe painter. I. It didn't sound like she was very good. She doesn't have to be good, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, there's a bunch of other ancillary characters yeah. in there too, but I think the whole reason this book is a classic is because it dives deep into the inner thoughts and feelings of the characters. And I think at a time when maybe not many authors were doing that. And it it was very interesting. <laughs> yeah, I think if we consider it in the context of when it's written mm-hmm. in that time period, it's a little more um, remarkable maybe or groundbreaking. But to me, the style felt kind of disorienting because it's hard to follow when everything is so like stream of conscious. Yes, style. that's a good way of explaining yeah. it. Yeah, so I wish there was a little more plot. I wish it was a little more straightforward, but... If you're prepared for that going in, then it's a good read. She writes well. Like, it's well written. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, her prose is very well done. And, and it, it really... Uh, I'm not an English major, so forgive me. But, like, she she uses metaphors a lot. Like, in, uh, you know, describing time or thoughts. Like, the waves on a shore or something. And so maybe that's fitting that they're on a, you know, island... Um, you know, on the coast of Scotland or something, and very, very much a lot of water and beach and nature, kind of like metaphors to time passing or, or uh, emotions or um, other things like yeah, that. Yeah, it's a lot of imagery, mm-hmm. and um, it's very like poetically written, mm-hmm. I would say. But so many commas, like oh, it's hard to yeah. find when a sentence will end because like an entire page will just be comma, comma, comma. Right. Oh, so. it's it it's. Yes, she's she's writing and then inserts a phrase and then another phrase within that phrase about uh, the previous phrase and and just yeah it is at times difficult to follow yeah. which makes made me at times just kind of skim yeah. and not really absorb you know what she was saying or what she was trying to get across I think. English majors would love this book yeah. because you can you can drill down and dissect these sentences and what she's getting at and what do these metaphors mean and and all these things because she goes into Mrs. Ramsey and Mr. Ramsey and their relationship and then James's relationship with both his mother and his father and and, and just all kinds of stuff. You can really get into it pretty um, hardcore. But I also found. And you can also see in this writing, because we know Virginia Woolf drowned herself and uh, was dealing with some sort of manic depression or something. Um, so you can 
I'm sure that people can analyze those aspects of her writing as well. Yeah, there are a lot of angles that to look at this or different ways to see it, I think. How did she kill herself? She walked, she like... She drowned walked. herself. Like So like she like loaded her pockets up with, with rocks. rocks and stuff and walked out in the ocean. That's pretty intense. That is intense. Way that is go. not the way I would do it. I mean, you know, yeah. like... I'm not, I'm not going to commit suicide <laughs> okay. in general, but, yeah, you know, not. yeah. Jesus. <laughs> it'll be a, it'll be a <laughs> shortly run podcast. <laughs> episode eight, final episode. <laughs> Dark stuff. But yeah, so, I mean, this is one of those books where, do you appreciate the book for how it's written or the story it tells or perhaps the characters? Or you know, like what? You know, like what is it about? I mean, this is. I mean, this is different for everybody, and I think every book is different because you can like you can like book A because it's a good story and it kept your interest and it's a page turner, as they say. You know, like Dean Koontz, um, John Grisham. I think those guys are good at just turning out book after book with a good story that keeps readers interested, and that's why they're so popular. I'd never read either one of them really, so I I can't critique them. But maybe they're not, you know, they're not considered. Maybe John Grisham has some good quality books, but like Dean Koontz isn't considered an all-time great author, but he's a best-selling author. So like, if you like book A because it's a great story, that's great. If you like book B because it's you know eloquently written, but not a good story, you know, like so, like I used to, th- I don't really have a particular book I like, you know. I, I when I read a book I either know whether or not I like it. Do you have a particular way you trend? Like when you're reading a book, do you like a book that's, that has a lot of story and a lot of deep character development, or do you like a book that is just well written and you can picture it in your mind? Or that's a good question. I think the more we've been reading books for this, uh-huh. um, I think characters are pretty important to me. Like uh-huh. the development of a character and the arc, the story arc, and how it um, affects them how they grow and learn lessons along the way. Um, I think that's why it, what made this book a little hard for me is because it doesn't really go that much in depth into mm-hmm. the individual characters. It kind of jumps around a lot. And sort sure. Of, yeah. But the, 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 did you find any particular characters that, like I, for me, I felt like James mm-hmm. was the most evolving character or maybe Cam, because like they were the ones with their father in the third part of the book to the lighthouse when they're sailing to the lighthouse, and we can, we she died. Virginia Woolf dives deep in, deeper into their thoughts and feelings about their relationship with their father, which I found interesting. Um, if not, they weren't quite relatable to me because, like, Mr. Rams, who was very um, harsh father, uh, he was not very loving. He felt like, I mean, we'll get to it when we do our quotes, um, but he was like a philosopher or something. He was a published author about philosophy, so he was more worried about how he will be remembered and that life is fleeting, and so he kind of left his... He didn't He didn't show overly... He didn't... He wasn't overflowing with emotions towards his children, and so then James at times had hatred towards him, which I can't relate to personally because I personally like my dad. <laughs> but, you know, I found it interesting how, I mean, I guess that was the biggest character development. And maybe Lucy Briscoe as well. Lucy was the painter 
in the first part of the book who they thought she was going to marry somebody, but she didn't. And then she came back years later with Mr. Ramsey and the children after Mrs. Ramsey died. And then with Lucy, you get you see her grief over Mrs. Ramsey's death, which I found interesting to explore that. Mm-hmm. And Virginia Woolf has some very eloquent phrases in there. Discussing I, I that. thought the, the dad was a good character because... Really? Yeah, I mean, not a good person. <laughs> okay, let me clarify. Okay, okay. Not a good person, yeah. but a good character because he was more fleshed out than a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Like, the fact that he was this metaphysical philosophy professor, so he's, like, highly esteemed, and that uh, Mrs. Ramsey, like, appreciates him and stuff. But, like, yeah, some of the kids resent him, and um, he's he has these, like, existential crises sort of throughout the book, and wondering how his legacy is going to live on, and he needs that um, validation from, like, his wife and uh, sort of the confidence to keep going. So I think he was a little more well-rounded as a character just more ways to look at him right so yeah that's a good point he was he was a a more developed character than most in the book as well yeah Yeah. so i mean what what was your favorite part of the book uh so one quick thing i'll say about Mm. the style since we were sort of touching on that sure sure uh is that i think as a book i enjoyed it more as an audiobook than reading it because it is so stream of conscious, like the and Nicole Kidman narrated it, so that was pretty cool. Okay, yeah, that would be <laughs> She's cool. Got a nice voice. Yeah, um, but just because the way it's read, it feels more like um, it's like a dialogue in your head almost is how a lot of this is written. It feels like Virginia Woolf is just like thinking things up, and then in in the place of some of the characters, she's thinking things from their perspective, and um, yeah, and I think. Taking it in context for the time in the 20s for a female author to write about a wife's perspective of the relationship of, and being a mother in, from Mrs. Ramsey's point of view in the first part of the book, I felt is, was probably pretty revolutionary at the time. I can't imagine there were many female authors writing about being a wife and a mother to, you know. Yeah, well, it's interesting because she's like has this reputation as a feminist author, but then Mrs. Ramsey... As a character, it was basically like, she's like, oh, being a mother is the best thing a person can do. And I, I mean, like, that's great. I to- 100% appreciate that, but she seemed a little one-dimensional as a character. Oh, interesting. To me. I mean, okay. at least sort of in the beginning. I think parts I liked about her is that she would, like, stick up for her kids, I think, and then also criticize them if they were being jerks to, like, other people. Uh, so she was, like, I think she was a good mother, but it's strange that you have this feminist author who's um you know celebrating that role of a mother so much right right but i think i i took it as this way because there were there were some (laughs) i'm gonna i'll read some quotes here in a minute that um uh, made me like you said she's virginia wolf is supposedly a feminist i know icon right or maybe not maybe icon's too strong but a, a feminist period um but at times her writing does not come off like a person of, of a, that written by a feminist. Um, so I took it as maybe viewing, giving Virginia Woolf the benefit of the doubt and thinking about her personal uh, issues. And maybe she was down on herself. Her depression was manifesting itself through her writing that, you know, women like... At one point, Mr. Ramsey says, 
I, looking at Mrs. Ramsey. I wonder if she's understanding what she's reading. Probably not. And like little things like that and where maybe Virginia Woolf is manifesting her, her negative views of herself through her writing. You know, which I, that's just complete speculation, but uh, made me at least give her Virginia, Virginia Woolf the benefit of the doubt because I know of her personal issues. Yeah, that totally, you know? it's, it's possible. I think writing, hmm, I'm trying to think how to phrase this. Writing a character like her husband who says things like that, maybe that's her way of almost um, poking fun at the issue or mm. just observing it in a way. Like, I think she's a very observant person uh, to the way she writes details in general. Mm-hmm. She's very, like, detail-oriented. So when she has characters say those sort of off-the-cuff, uh, non-politically correct things, I wonder if it's for a reason like that. In, in, in my Kindle version, this is the first book I've read on Kindle. Officially. Congratulations. Yes, thank you. So I have all my notes that I highlighted here, which is awesome. But I'm not I'm not 100% certain that I'll read everything on Kindle. But anyway, in the Kindle version that I have, um, there's a quote at the end. They have several quotes by Virginia Woolf. And one of them is, if you do not tell the truth about yourself, you cannot tell it about other people. So I like that quote. And I feel like what we're talking about is touching on that. Maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe she's telling the truth about herself but also then poking fun and telling like being sar- kind of sarcastic or ironic in the way that Mr. Ramsey views his wife that like oh men just think women are are simple minded yeah I feel like it's hard to know what an author's intentions are in general like yes and I agree with that it's like mm-hmm. a lot of English seminars are just sort of um, theorizing and Sometimes they act really are really confident that an author is trying to say this thing, and it's like you, nobody really knows one hundred percent. I mean, unless like in an interview, Virginia yes. Woolf was like, "This is what I meant," but I, I don't know how many interviews there are. Of Virginia Woolf, <laughs> like, for the record, <laughs> right? And I think I think that's why English majors love this book. Yeah, is because they can speculate till the cows come home, yeah. and there is nobody that can really say otherwise. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's. I think that's what makes this book considered a classic, and I think that's perfectly fine. Do I think it's a classic? I don't know. I mean, I liked it, but... I mean... Yeah. What was? What would have made it a better book, in your opinion? That's a good question. More action. Car chases. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Not enough shoot. No, no. Ice. There were no shootouts in this book. That's None. crazy. Can you believe that? The light. They should have robbed the lighthouse. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, considering the last book I read with a lighthouse was Annihilation. Um, you remember that Is movie? There a lighthouse with, in that? Yeah. Oh, that's at the very. Go to it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, um, this was better than Annihilation. <laughs> let me tell you. Um, what would have made this book better for me? Um. Good question. I don't. There's not an easy answer to that, um, because I think this book is just so vague in what happens. You know, there's no. I mean, a lot of it is kind of just uh, talking about life and the meaning of existence and and you know the death of Mrs. Ramsey and. 
Mr. Ramsey and the kids finally going to the lighthouse years later. Um, it's just about human relationships, but I think she, she could have done more. I don't know more about the relationships, but I guess that vagueness is part of the beauty is, you know, her allegories or metaphors or whatever are kind of what draws people to it. Um, yeah, not so much me. Yeah, I mean, I, I know it's very well written. Don't get me wrong. I like the book. It was well written. But, um, yeah, I'm just not one to, yeah, analyze the words. Yeah, I mean, I was a little disappointed too. But yeah. I think other people have compared this to, like, Ulysses by James Joyce. Really? Which is, and I haven't read it, but um, my understanding is that it's also told from, like, the perspectives of multiple characters and mm -hmm. um, their points of view and that sort of style. So okay. maybe some parallels there. But, um, yeah, it's just, for this one, there just wasn't much of a story, not a lot of character development, uh, just not a lot to keep me engaged. I know it was written in, like, the 20s, mm -hmm. and then it has these, like, um, it's well-written and good imagery, whatever. Wasn't wasn't uh, The Great Gaps, Gatsby written in the 20s or 30s? Uh, Something like that? Yeah, probably the 30s. Didn't it take place in the 20s? Yeah. The roaring 20s. So, like, I mean... And that's a great book. Yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, like, that, I think, is universally liked. That's what I was thinking, like, Tolstoy was written mm, yeah. even before this, and, like, right. that kept my attention when I read, like, you know, mm -hmm. uh, some of his stories, so... Right, right. So, I mean, there are... Yeah, I don't know. Maybe this is just a book for those uh, that love the English language, you know, and love analyzing every sentence and breaking it down and being able to... Uh, you know, subject whatever they want on the meaning behind the things. I can't quite articulate what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Well, either can Virginia will. <laughs> I just kind of. Anyway, do you want to you want to do quotes? Yeah, I'm I'm ready to do quotes. You can go ahead. You have more quotes than me. Well, I mean, all right. So I'm gonna start with this because this is what I think the book is all about. This one little quote, and this is this is the this is when I'm gonna actually analyze the sentence. Alright, so this is the quote that I have here. As if to be caught happy in a world of misery was for an honest man the most despicable of crimes. So let me break that down. So as if to be caught happy in a world of misery was for an honest man the most despicable of crimes. So this world of misery, I think is what Virginia Woolf, is how Virginia Woolf views the world. And I think her uh, being an honest man or woman is being a, is the highest virtue you can have in this world of misery. So, but being honest, you can't be happy because if you're caught happy in a world of misery, you're not being honest. To be honest in a world of misery is to recognize that the world is crap. But if you're happy, then that constitutes as a crime. And I feel like that can be that can set the tone for this whole book because no one's really happy in this whole book. They ever, like, at least the adults, Mr. and Mrs. Ramsey, some of the other adult characters, view the world as kind of a bleak and like unforgiving place. 
and Mrs. Ramsey laments the fact that children have to grow up and they'll they'll never be happier than when they are as children. Um, because they all view the world as misery and if they're happy, that's actually like, you're not being authentic to the world so that's might as well be a crime to be happy. Yeah, yeah I so, like that quote. Yeah, so I mean that's, that's like this whole book in my opinion. It's just a world of misery. <laughs> Pretty happy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I think going off that, uh, there was something, and I looked online about like this book too, because I was trying to mm-hmm. round out my oh, sure. thoughts and opinions. And someone was saying how a big part of this was just showing how subjective reality is. And that's kind of the philosophical side of this is like, there's not one um, objective truth it's all told from these different people's these different characters perspectives and like with the backdrop of world war one and all this like depressing things going on um it sort of fits into that historical context and that and you bring up a good point because like Hemingway wrote a lot in after world war one right and like that's like the lost generation for Europeans or British right because like fought in world war two and stuff right yeah Yeah. or he fought in the Spanish civil war oh yeah but Like, I think there was this overarching tone after World War One of, like, oh, my God, what did we just go through? Humanity is on the, like, was stretched, pushed to the brink, and how are we ever going to come back from that? And it's perfectly understandable. Um, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this, but <laughs> but I think that adds to the gloomy factor of, of the writing, which is, again, understandable, but I, I think what you hit on is also right that people's perspectives are so subjective that reality to one person is not reality to another. And I think you're right, that is has a lot to do in this book. Yeah. Because like even James, the youngest, in the first part of the book, he's six years old, and, they, and then she has talks of here of like, had there been an axe handy, a poker, or any weapon that would have gashed a hole in his father's breast and killed him, then there and then, James would have seized it. So like, even when he's six, he's filled with anger towards his father. And, you know, his father may not be particularly a bad person overall. He's just not very loving and emotional to his six-year-old son. But that creates this animosity towards him that never goes away. Because in the third part of the book, when they're sailing to the lighthouse, his son is fixated on steering the boat, the sailboat, because he knows if he slips up one little bit, his dad's going to say something and he doesn't want to have to deal with his dad. Yeah. You know? He's got issues. Yeah. <laughs> Loads of issues. Yes, this quote kind of ties into what we were just talking about. Um, yeah. She says, uh, this is from Mrs. Ramsey's perspective, uh, talking about her kids. Strife, divisions, difference of opinion, prejudices twisted into the very fiber of being. Oh, that they should begin so early, Mrs. Ramsey deplored. They were so critical, her children. They talk such nonsense. <laughs> so... Uh, she just talks about how they were like criticizing, I think it was either James or someone else at the house and like inventing differences between them and just sort of, yeah, that kind of ties into the subjectivity thing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, Mrs. Ramsey, from her point of view, she, yeah, just doesn't want her kids to grow up Uh because in this quote here. Oh, but she never wanted James to grow a day older, or Cam either. These two she would have liked to keep forever, just as they were. 
demons of wickedness, angels of the light, never to see them grow up into long-legged monsters. Because <laughs> I feel like, and then she goes on to say, like, um, and so she went down and said to her husband, "Why must they grow up and lose it all? Never will they be so happy again." And he was angry. Why take such a gloomy view of life, he said. It is not sensible. For it was odd, and she believed it to be true, that with all his gloom and desperation, he was happier, more hopeful on the whole than she was, less exposed to human worries. Perhaps that was it. So, Mr. Ramsey was more concerned with, like, greater uh, existential thoughts and... He got angry when she didn't want her children to grow up and have to deal with adulthood. And so he was he seemed to be more happier thinking about these grand existential thoughts than she was worrying about her kids losing their childlike naivete. Yeah, honestly, it makes him sound kind of like an asshole. <laughs> not to be, like, you know, judgmental, but I think... To have eight kids and be a mother worried about them makes sense, but he, it sounds like he kind of has like a fragile ego mm, when he's very much so. talking about, uh, what is it? <clears throat> so I think this is from his perspective. He says something like, the very stone one kicks with one's boot will out- outlast Shakespeare. Yeah. His own little light would shine not very brightly for a year or two and would then be merged in some bigger light and that in bigger still. So he's having this like existential crisis mm-hmm. and wondering about legacy and meaning, and it's like, why not just like be a better dad to your eight kids, <laughs> and that's well, your legacy. Well, this is what he says. Then that was a good bit of work on the whole. His eight children, they showed he did not damn the poor little universe entirely. So like his contribution is just reproducing just them. Yes, yeah. <laughs> not being good. But, yeah. <laughs> So is that Virginia Woolf, like, kind of taking a stab at shitty fathers? That's a good point. That could be. Because, like, um... Oh, where was the quote I had? Uh, Here is one quote. An unmarried woman has missed the best of life. And this is... my, My little note I added is, I guess woman authors can be misogynist, too. But, but, you know... Whew. You know, I didn't really think about, is she writing tongue-in-cheek there? Yeah, that's what is possible, right? You're right. I guess it is possible. Who knows? We'll have to do more research. Well, yeah. Our huge fan I mean, can reach out to yeah. us. <laughs> but no, like, yeah, it just... It just uh... Oh, here's the quote. Mr. Ramsey is thinking this. Go on reading. You don't look sad now, he thought. And he wondered what she was reading, and exaggerated her ignorance, her simplicity, for he liked to think that she was not clever, not book-learned at all. He wondered if she understood what she was reading. Probably not, he thought. See? Yeah, he's just an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess, I guess I didn't think of it that way. I thought... I thought Virginia Woolf was writing what she believed males thought of women. And you're suggesting that perhaps she is showing, she is displaying the absurdity of that men think women are so simple-minded. 
They're kind of tongue in cheek. I think I think that's possible. I mean, I don't. I like to think. Assume. I would like to think that. Yeah. I would like to think you're way better. But I don't know. I mean, <sighs> well, even to go one more step, mm-hmm. like further down that is, uh, so he's this like abstract philosopher, right? Kind of in his own head a lot. And then she talks a lot about how ordinary stuff is important mm-hmm. and things like that, right? So it's almost as if part of the message of this book is saying that we need to like appreciate the ordinary more and not as much these like grand ideas that we overthink, hmm. things like that. I had a quote that sort of goes off of that. Um, Okay, she says, uh, one wanted, she thought, dipping her brush deliberately, to be on a level with ordinary experience, to feel simply, that's a chair, that's a table, and yet at the same time, it's a miracle, it's an ecstasy. Mm-hmm. So she's like brushing her hair or something, and just thinking, like, appreciating these simple things. Hmm. And some other good writing I enjoyed was um, after... The third part of the book, after Mr. R- Mrs. Ramsey dies, Mr. Ramsey is kind of feeling a little, a little extra self pity, <laughs> and he goes to Lucy, who's there painting. She kind of wants to be left alone, but he just wants like recognition for his um, sorrow. They stood there, isolated from the rest of the world. His immense self pity, his demand for sympathy, poured and spread itself in pools at their feet. And all she did, miserable sinner that she was, was to draw her skirts a little closer around her ankles, lest she should get wet. In complete silence, she stood there, grasping her paintbrush. Hmm. So he was being vulnerable. He wanted this self. He wanted this acknowledgement for the sorrow he was in for Mrs. Ramsey's death, and Lucy just didn't like I, I that visual like of the pool of sorrow, and she just hiking up her her uh her skirts a little closer around her ankles to not get wet it's like uh, you know yeah. oh that's what know. my quote was going off of is that oh, yeah? it was dipping her brush her paintbrush oh not her hairbrush i like yeah. get some leaves are out of context but... <laughs> yeah that's the one thing about the kindle you mm-hmm. highlight what you want yeah and it, it all then you email it to yourself in this nice format but you lose the context that you, it was in yeah well, you no. can go back to the page, or you can type a note along with it. Kind right. Of like, yeah. I'm going to have to type more notes. Because, yeah, a lot of this stuff, I like it when I'm reading it, but then when I go back and just read the quote itself out of context. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of out of context, I found a quote here that just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> um, so here was a weird one. And all the time she was saying that the butter was not fresh, one would be thinking of Greek temples and how beauty had been with them there in that stuffy little room. Yeah, something about butter. So like the previous sentence, something about not fresh butter, and then she goes on talking about Greek temples. So yeah, anyway. I don't know how to interpret yeah, that Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> okay, I can read one more about uh, the professor's sort of mental breakdown. Right. Not breakdown, but sort of existential crisis uh he goes on to say if shakespeare had never existed he asked would the world have differed much from what it is today does the progress of civilization depend upon great men 
Is the lot of the average human being better now than in the time of the pharaohs? Is the lot of the average human being, however, he asked himself, the criterion by which we judge the measure of civilization? Possibly not. Mm. So, yeah, like these great things by Shakespeare, the pharaohs, like, is the average person better off than then? I think so. But right. <laughs> <laughs> looking at this now, probably. I would but, hope so, yes. Okay, but okay, so if Shakespeare hadn't existed, would the world be that much different? Mm. I think he's had a lot of influence on culture and stories and things like that. Oh, yeah. And as a general idea. Yeah. Just, but like, then, then you know, with, there's that saying that if you put, you know, what, a bunch of monkeys on typewriters, eventually they'll crank out Shakespeare. So like... I don't think that means that anybody could do it, but does that mean somebody else would then emerge from history as an, a great influencer of, of drama and comedy and plays and, and just social commentary through art? Yeah. Because I think that's what Shakespeare did a lot. I think the bigger point is, like, what does it mean to be a great man and what does it mean to society to, like, to be a great person and contribute and what effect does that have and... How does that affect like the greater culture? Mm-hmm. Uh, is he is he wondering is that the only way to have a meaningful life? Uh, well, he's asking is the lot of the average human the criterion by which we judge the measure of civilization? Probably, maybe not. I mean, he's just kind of going back and forth in his mind. Mm. It's just, yeah, who knows? <laughs> yeah. But this was a good few pages, I think, of him mm-hmm. just sort of like, what is that called when you're stuck in your head, like? I don't know. He's overanalyzing right. everything. Sure. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> anyway, you had a quote? Yeah. Um, I think this was Lucy Briscoe painting again in the third part of the book. Mm. What is the meaning of life? That was all. A simple question. One that tended to close in on one with years. The great revelation had never come. The great revelation perhaps never did come. Instead, there were little daily miracles, illuminations, Matches struck unexpectedly in the dark. Yeah, that was my favorite quote. Oh, was it really? I that, yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. So I think this is the complete inverse of what you said about Mr. Ramsey. Mr. Ramsey's wondering uh, about great works and great deeds done by humans to advance the lot of the average human. Whereas this is just saying, instead they were... Little daily miracles, illuminations, matches struck unexpectedly in the dark. It's the little things that we that we will cherish through life that surprise us, that illuminate us, that yeah. Yeah, that's what I was saying about like the ordinary stuff. Remember mm-hmm. when she was right. No, I mean I think yeah. yes, I think we're yeah we're on the same we're page. On the same page. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just just you know like like this book. Says, implies is that we have different perspectives so our realities are slightly different based on our you know it's subject it's subjective but we are we roughly share the same ideas about the book mm-hmm. yeah do you have any more quotes i was gonna end on that one honestly oh was it really <laughs> well I'm i, sorry, I mean that was my yeah okay, but sorry. you should uh do some more if you got some more i might have one or two more I mean, I did appreciate, 
I I mean I guess I guess my favorite part of the book was Lucy Briscoe painting in the third section and her thoughts about the meaning of life and death and mourning Mrs. Ramsey. I felt like that was for me what I that's what I when I connected the most was when Virginia Woolf was going on and about about her stream of consciousness and and her mindset because um, I didn't really connect with Mr. Ramsey. I mean, I felt like he was a little bit of a chauvinist, uh, egotistical, I mean, self-centered guy, but I think that's kind of what she wrote him as, right? Yeah. I think but, so. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, yeah, I wasn't saying I connected with him either. It's just, I think uh, he has, his character is just like more fleshed out, I guess mm-hmm. is what I was saying. Sure. Yeah. Alright, so yes, here's here's my last quote. This is Lucy, like I said, my favorite part, painting on the shore in the third part of the book. Mm-hmm. Oh, the dead, she murmured. One pitied them. One brushed them aside. One had even a little contempt for them. They are at our mercy. Mrs. Ramsay had faded and gone, she thought. We can override her wishes, improve away her limited, old-fashioned ideas... She recedes further and further from us. And I especially like the improve away her limited old-fashioned ideas. Because when someone dies and passes away, we don't, we don't dwell on their faults, which I think is healthy. We don't want to... We, when someone passes away, we miss... What do we miss? We miss what we liked about them. You know, what we loved about them. And I think... That's the thing is like we we kind of just gloss over, you know, the the negative sides of people. I think one example is the founding fathers. You know, people they were great men, very insightful and 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 full of courage and wisdom to found this country, but at the end of the day, they owned slaves. You know, so overall. But I know there's 200 years since then, but still, you know, we we like to improve away their limited old-fashioned ideas. And that's what we do with people who pass away. She's talking about Mrs. Ramsey in that yeah. passage. Right. So maybe the old-fashioned ideas is that uh, clinginess to that, like, matronly role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Could be. Because yeah. Lily Briscoe, yeah. that's who it's oh, talking about. Oh, was it about. Lily or Lucy? I think it was Lu- was it Lucy? I, I think, think it was Lucy. Lucy. Well, regardless, I've been calling her Lucy this whole time. So. Yeah, <laughs> that character. Uh, <laughs> she, I think Mrs. Ramsey wanted her to like. She was like trying to set her up with another character in the mm-hmm. book, some guy, and she like wouldn't take to him. Like she wasn't interested. That's just yeah. So maybe that's kind of Lily Briscoe is the heroine of this book. Well, that's an oversimplification. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but if you're a Virginia Woolf like feminist hero then maybe what you're saying is like you can choose Lily's route and even though Mrs. Ramsey was like a great mom you don't have to like do that if that's not your right. path or something right exactly so alright so what did you rate this book uh out of five yeah why don't you go first cause out you, of five you always got but alright I'm giving it a three I'm giving it a three out of five because at the end of the day 
some of the I do feel like it was well written. That's it. That's it. Because okay. like, <laughs> because if anybody else wrote this book, or if it was, it would just never be famous if it wasn't so well written. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so three out of five for me. Yeah, I would give it a three too. Okay. Because. I didn't. It didn't really captivate me. No, it didn't. <laughs> but that, it that's not the point. I guess. No, I was a borderline yeah. two. I was. A, I was. I was thinking about two out of five, and I'm like, no, this is really well written. There are there are, there are more beautiful moments in here that I'm just not quoting now because there's just nothing to add. It's just it's just beautiful prose in some instances, you know, and so I like. There's plenty of spots I could highlight and just quote you know maybe we're just not the best audience for this too it's better for (laughs) no i mean and that's fine i mean i think that's the whole point is you want to read stuff that you wouldn't normally read or get out of your comfort zone when reading yeah so the point is reality is subjective and our opinions are not the fact the universal but what is reality then ask virginia ask virginia all right so good pick tim i give you credit for Thank you. Including diversity into our yeah, you selections. Start. Yeah, I will soon. So, all right. So we both rate it three out of five. Our next book is picked by me, Brian. It's When Breath Becomes Air by... Oh, another happy one. Yeah, it's going to be another happy one. Paul something? Uh, at, oh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I forget the author's name. We'll have it for, for next time. Yeah. But, or, so... Look for our next, visit our website, twoguysonebook.com, to comment on books that you like or dislike, and uh, we'll share them on air if you get them in. We got we have our next several books posted up there, so feel free to check them out. And there are so many comments right now, and there's limited space, so you have to, <laughs> you have to really get in there to get your comments yeah. quickly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we're just running out of That's how the internet works. Memory yeah, and data. There's just, limits. Yes. Yeah, there's limits. So... <laughs> Get on it. All right. Until next time.